welcome in to episode 129 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I am joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa. As we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay per view every single week. And this week, boy, oh fucking boy, Angelo, what can you say? What can you say when you're when this event is mostly remembered? For one of the greatest wrestlers of all time suffering a career-ending injury, boy, oh boy, you got a stew going, folks. L- let's let's be real here. I, I We've watched a lot of stuff for this podcast. We've watched a lot of shows, some good, some great. Some, some awful. Some WCW 2000. But I don't know if I've watched a show from top to bottom as bad depressing and outright infuriating throughout a lot of it as this one of course i am talking about wcw starcade 1999 the battle to end the millennium and boy i thought about ending my own life while watching this several times especially during that kevin nash sid vicious match which has the dumbest finish of any match i have ever seen In my entire life, of all the years I have watched pro wrestling, I watch watch wrestling every day, often for hours every day. I have watched tens of thousands of wrestling matches probably in my life, and I have never seen a match finish than that. It was so insane. This, This match is just, the whole show is just a crime. It's so fucking bad and not even in a fun way. I'm I, I just I what, what, what can you say about this? Ange? What can you say um, about this I could say that the Italians had one of the best matches of the night and it was an entertaining what? start to the card. He's the best worker on the fucking <laughs> card. Angelo. Holy shit. I mean, that's an incorporation, but like, no, it's not. A, it's it's, it's Brett. It was the I thought I, I still think Brett Goldberg wasn't awful. I know everything without it, but like I, it was not bad. And you had two personalities. But the yes, Brett, for- the Brett Goldberg match, I'll say this, was building up to be a decent match before you get an infuriating finish. And then also the big asterisk of the greatest wrestler in North American history suffering a career ending injury uh, at the end. Yes. So, that yes, kind of takes your stock down a little bit. I, I think also like you have an argument for Benoit Jarrett, who this was I, I can't imagine this was the planned match. And they go, went out there and had a very solid 10 minute ladder match where they do some good spots. But like, holy shit, Big Vito and Lash LaRue, man, build a company off those two guys. Big Vito and Lash LaRue, they had the second best match on the fucking show. <laughs> and one of the guys in that match, it was his third ever wrestling match. And like, the other guy was Disco Inferno. Yeah, you could have could have fooled me. No, uh, but like, yeah, seriously, like that was the second best match on the show for me. And yeah, one of the guys in it was in his third wrestling match of his career. Uh, yeah, Benoit and Jarrett have a perfectly solid match. It's not great or anything. You know, it's not a match that like if it was on a better show, would you like would it really stick out to you? Probably no, not. But it's solid. And there's a there's a couple really cool spots in it. Um, And that's like. Like compared to everything else, that's like Kenny versus Okada one. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this shit is so it's it's not only bad, it's like it's 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 insane in all of the worst ways. There's so many finishes that don't make sense. Is there's like one clean finish in the whole match, I think. Or in the uh, whole- 
I'm trying to think. I think Mama Luke's Disco Inferno the, the was disco, relatively okay. clean. The 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 Guidos, the the offshoot FBI branch, um, relatively le- relatively clean. The Benoit match, I guess you know it's a ladder match, you know, but it was it was just the two of them, no outside interference. DDP overcame odds. I know, but that was stupid. Um, the the hacksaw Jim Duggan match is like a low point in the history of American civilization. <laughs> oh God, we'll get there. That was awful. I mean, you have multiple matches where it's just like it's supposed to be an eight man tag or a six man tag, and then one of the people just doesn't wrestle for some reason, so it becomes a handicap match. You know, yeah. Never address it. Uh, it's some of the worst. There shit. are s- half of these matches are under six minutes. Again, the Kevin Nash Sid Vicious match was so just. <laughs> incredibly insulting that I like want to drive to Vince Russo's house right now. Um, and I still might, I bet I could find his fucking address online. I, I can't imagine he lives that far away. If I bet he lives in the fucking tri-state, you know, with a name like Vince Russo. Nah, he's totally like in Indianapolis or something. Uh, you might be right. I'm going to look him up. I bet he's from fucking, he's from long Island. You know, I bet he's, you know, I, I could get there in a few hours. Call in, call in some favors from uh, Nikki Flat, yeah, yeah. Have Nikki P pick you up at an airport. Yeah, I don't need. I can drive there. I can get there in three hours. Actually, train. Hours. Go by train. Yeah, you know, train might be more convenient. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna show up at his fucking house uh, because of how bad this was. I'm it's terrible. Just, it's the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I have been dreading this since I finished watching it, having to relive this like a, like a, like when, when they make you know, a, a victim of a violent crime, relive the, the events on the witness stand, um, give their testimony. Uh, I've been, I've been dreading this. Uh, you know, I, I feel very similar to, to that here. Um, so I think we should just get it over with and, and talk about this fucking show. That is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And then we can forget it. The faster, the faster we discuss, the quicker it leaves our brain. That's true. All right, so it is December 19th, 1999. We are at the MCI Center in my hometown of Washington, D.C. And, man, seeing the old purple seats in the arena makes me nostalgic. I have watched some really, really terrible basketball in that arena over the past year, and nothing that Jordan Poole could do to me can hurt me as badly as Starcade 1999 did. Don't, don't, don't test him. He, he'll find a way. Jordan Poole, my friend, you are off the hook. Inshallah, you will pay for your fucking crimes. Um, we have an uh, we have a crowd, according to Dave Meltzer, eight thousand five hundred ninety-two. Only about fifty-three hundred or so paid, which is pretty bad for your. You know, Starcade was their big show of the year. It was their WrestleMania. You're in a you know major. Uh, you know, NBA, NHL arena, and you've got 5,300 paid tickets. Not great here. Uh, as the, you know, we're in late 99, the tide of the Monday Night Wars is thoroughly turned. WCW's business is going down the shitter. Vince Russo is throwing shit at the wall to see if it sticks. Ratings are crashing. Yeah. Not a great look, Ange. Yeah, it was dressed like a seat night, David. I'm pretty sure that's what was happening. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I mean, listen, I was at a Wizards Heat game. Uh, about a month ago and uh, kind of felt like a similar similar vibe, you know, uh, 
So uh, we've got Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and the odious Scott Hudson on the call. Is better than Mark Madden, though, who blocked me on Twitter. I always, I always. <laughs> I didn't uh, mind Hudson. He, I thought he brought up some a level of professionalism, although it was like it was not. I understood what he was trying to get at. I just don't think it worked. I think he sucks. Uh, the battle to end the millennium will be held between. I mean, and, and hey, this is a good-looking match on paper, at least in the main event. The legendary Bret the Hitman Hart defending the WCW title against Goldberg. Impending doom that you feel when you hear Bret versus Goldberg. Uh, yeah, so business is terrible for WCW. They are they are rapidly heading into extinction, and folks, it's only going to get worse from here. And you look at the card, and you see 13 matches on it. And you're like, oh, shit. And then what well, is their mania? Oh, you go to the cock and then you load up the show and you see it's like two hours and 40 minutes long. And you're like, oh, boy, we're there's going to be some wacky shit here. And it's two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, that feels like five hours and 40 minutes. It was absolutely uh, brutal. But we start out with one of the better matches on the show uh, easily. I, like I said, we talked about it before. Uh, I think this is probably the second best match on the show, depending on how you feel about Brett Goldberg. I think this is better because nobody suffered a career-ending injury in it. Um, and they didn't do the most overplayed fuck finish in history. Um, it is Disco Inferno wearing a snazzy leopard print. He is teaming with the perpetually underrated Lash LaRue. Against the fucking the your boys, Angelo, the fucking Guidos, the fucking I love them, the Mamalukes, the Mamalukes, these fucking guys, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull, uh, accompanied by a Tony Marinara, who would later be known as Tony Mamaluke, who would actually go over to ECW and join the actual FBI faction. His name is fucking Tony Marinara. His name is Tony Marinara. I mean, come on, that's fucking great. Um, by the way, big shout out, uh, I want to give here to Lash LaRue, uh, whenever he's on one of these shows, always talk about how he was actually, you know, very underrated, could go very recently in September returned to pro wrestling after 17 years, 17 years since he had had a match, wrestled Joey Janela for GCW. And guess what? He looked really good. <laughs> Shocker. This, yeah, this, he, he held up against Johnny uh, Joey Janela very impressively. Um, for a guy who was out for 17 years, I thought it was a super impressive performance from uh, Lash. Uh, big respect to Lash LaRue. He's, uh, he's, he's a good worker. Yeah, I would. I mean, I feel like he's a guy that you could always look like. He'd be a great teacher. Yeah. 17 fucking years that he was out of wrestling and he came back and like looked good. You know, it was crazy. Um, so yeah, Dave Meltzer reports that these guys were and 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 uh, Johnny the Bull. This is Johnny the Bull's third ever recorded match in his wrestling career. He is fresh out of the WCW power plant, and uh, Dave Meltzer reports that these four guys were down in the power plant all week beforehand working this match out. And uh, it shows because it is uh, much more of a cohesive wrestling match than almost anything else that you will get on the show. It's nothing amazing, but it's solid. Um, Big Vito is the uh, Big Vito's wiling out this whole fucking. He match. is insanely good. He's he's actually pretty good in this match, and he's like you know he's he's 
doing all these crazy mannerisms and shit. He like they get heat on Lash first and he hits like one kick and he starts acting like he's one, two, three kid, you know, like fucking doing all the all the like karate hand motions and shit. Um, then eventually the uh, the uh, the they, they get heat on uh, Disco Inferno. Um, Vito acting a fool this whole match. It's a big swinging neck breaker. They do a nice uh, double team move where they do like a double hip toss where they then catch uh, Disco and then elevate him up into like a double power bomb. I thought that looked pretty cool. Um, we get eventually Vito and Disco fight to the floor. We get Lash and Johnny the Bull in the ring. When it's one-on-one, you do see Johnny's inexperience showing a little bit, but he's, he's an impressive athlete. Um, hits a big press slam, uh, press slam, jumps to the top rope in one, one jump, slips a little bit, but recovers, then goes for a big turning diving leg drop. He misses, uh, we get lash, gets a flurry of offense, leg sweep, frog splash combo on, uh, Johnny, the bull, um, Vito takes a little bit too long to get up to the top rope to break it up. Um, he's, he does like a diving, uh, a, a, a dive off the top rope to break it up. Ref has to count real slow to give him time. So that kind of, you know, that was a little bit off. Their timing is a little bit off on some stuff towards the end of the match, but, um, we get a, uh, finish the match. There's like a misdirection spot where Disco's turned around, accidentally hits Lash, his own partner. With the uh, the Stone Cold Stunner, which I think he called it the Last Dance, if I remember correctly. I believe that's correct. He hits him with the Last Dance, and then Lash feeds around to Vito, who snatches him and hits a objectively fucking amazing looking implant DDT. Beautiful it shit. Like puts ed- put Edge to shame. I mean, real. I mean, like legitimately better than maybe any. Uh, yeah, it's the same implant DDT where he swings around that Edge does. I don't think I've ever seen Edge hit one as well as as Vito hit this one on Lash Larue. Um, and the Guidos get the pin, nine minutes and 39 seconds. Afterwards, heels beat up Disco. They put him in a body bag. We The camera follows them as they drag the body bag backstage. They then take him out of the body bag, beat him up some more, throw him into the trunk of a car, and then drive off with him in the trunk of the car, which seemed uh, counterintuitive. Necessary because why take him out? You could just put the body bag in the car. You don't need to take him out of the body bag and then put him into the car. You're risking him getting away if you take him out of the body bag. Yeah, that was the only part of this match that really didn't make sense. Otherwise, this was, again, really fun, really like simple match. Like You have a, a, a definitive team in the Mama Lukes taking on a makeshift alliance between Disco and Lash. I like that the story essentially ended with Disco being a dumbass and making thinking that he's assuming that he's hitting the right guy. And just like it came from like a place of they don't have chemistry as a team. Yeah. Um, again, Lash, again I, we talk about Lash or LaRue a lot. What was that? I said Lash is good, folks. Never let anyone tell you the Lash isn't good. He's probably my favorite certified guy that we've come up like doing this podcast. Like every time Lash is on TV, I I just love it because the guy is great. He's got a great look. I, I think he's entertaining when he's in the ring. So good because he's so just a guy. Like he, he's just a dude. He really like, is just a dude. He existed. He existed as like a mid Carter in WCW for like three years, and then. He was just and then he like basically never wrestled again. Like he didn't he didn't like get into WWF after the merger and then like didn't really have an indie career after that. No, it, it's just weird. He just you know? dropped off the face of the earth. He was a guy that came straight out of the 
the uh, the the power plant. He had never wrestled before WCW. Like he was, I mean, even even Lash, who looks really good in this match, and like consistently was impressive whenever you saw him. He had like a year experience, maybe. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Not a guy that was like 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 Vito had been around the indie circuit for a long time uh, before he ended up in WCW, and like I think Disco had been wrestling a while too, but like. Lash is somebody that like didn't have much experience really, and, and was was better than you would expect him to be. Yeah, I mean, there's for, uh, also like go staying with Lash. Is there a bigger gap in like likability on a team than Lash Larue and Disco Inferno? At least from our perspective. <laughs> At least from our knowing that uh, that Disco's a fucking asshole piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just in real life. Yeah. Yes, hundred uh, percent. But but like holy shit! Like Vito shocked me this match. He looked so damn good. Uh, he, he, yeah, no, I, I I was watching this and I was like, damn, Vito, I'm, I I apologize. I was unfamiliar <laughs> with your game. I didn't know you had it like that, dude. Because he looked great. He really did. Yeah, I mean, he vicious clothesline, just re- great at selling, and like his timing was perfect throughout the match. Like despite the chaos of it all, like Johnny the Bull was very clearly like still wet behind the ears, but Vito was there just as a consummate professional. Uh, Lash had a really cool looking neck breaker Russian leg sweep kind of move that was really neat. Um, there's also a, a comment here from the brain saying whiplash LaRue following a move that Vito hit on him, which was there, buddy. Very good. Very clever. Way to go, brain. Uh, and then that, that impaler DDT, man, he gets Lash all the way up for it. Just beautiful. That was beautiful. Uh, also, Darby stole the body bag gimmick. I will not apologize for that statement. Stole the body bag gimmick from the from Tony Mamaluke. Yeah, everyone's been saying that. Everyone's been saying that he stole the the gimmick from Tony Mamaluke. And I can't believe he's got the stink seal approval. He's stealing the gimmick, folks. Yeah, but big respect to uh, to Lash Larue. And again, yeah, like if you can find it, uh, you know there there are places to watch it on the internet. Find that match with Joey Janela from. Uh, from a few months ago, it's like really, it's it's way better than you would expect it to be. Seriously, um, it's way better than you would expect it to be. Um, so yeah, like it's only way downhill from here because like this match is it's good. It's a you great know? opener. It's like for an opening match, it's exactly what you want. Fun to watch. Vito's great. Lash is really good. Disco's there. You know, Johnny the Bull, it's Johnny the Bull is clearly very green, but they they cover it up and they work around it and they don't really ask him to do too much. And they, you know, they they do a good job working around his inexperience and, and, you know, doing their best to make him look good, too. And he's a specimen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great athlete. Dude's dude's yoked, you know. It's, you know, there's there's it's it's not a five star classic, but there's not much to pick at here. Right. Um this ends up being by far one of the best matches on the show because like, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, it's, it's good. It's not amazing. It's not one that would like you would probably otherwise really remember. But like compared to everything else on the show, again, it's like it's like watching FTR versus the Briscoes, you know, really? <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so next up, we've got a promo. Uh, Chris Benoit was ske- uh, scheduled to challenge for the U.S. title later tonight in a ladder match. Against one of the uh, one of the trailblazers of the ladder match, Scott Hall. But Scott Hall is injured. He has a knee injury, and he is not going to be here. So Chris Benoit informs us all he is not going to be here. He has been handed the United States title. Scott Hall has relinquished the championship due to his injury. But uh, titles are to be won, not to be handed. 
to you. I came to DC to kick some ass. I want my ladder match, and I'm going to be issuing an open challenge for later tonight who will face off with Benoit for the U.S. title. Well, there's a reason why he's not called the charismatic crippler. I, I mean, he has, he, cut, he, car- he cuts a couple promos. I thought they were both good. He improved as a promo. Uh, he was definitely much worse like a couple years before. But, like, I thought both the promos he cuts on this promo are, are on the show are fine. I, don't, fine. I thought the second one was better. I thought the first one was a little bit rough. Second one was better. I agree, but I thought they're both fine. You know, I, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna to shit on him really. So uh, next up, cruiserweight title match, and we've got it's an intergender match. Medusa, who is in the very depressing uh, Medusa WCW run in the late '90s when they basically like they they signed her from WWF, basically to like without any intention of actually having women's wrestling they just wanted to like sign someone from wwf splashy yeah because they wanted the moment that you know the very memorable moment of her showing up on wcw nitro and throwing the wwf women's title in a garbage can on tv that's why they wanted her they didn't actually want her to really do anything and then she was just kind of there for five years it was the jets signing tim tebow she shows up looking kind of depressed honestly i feel bad for her um, she's challenging for the title against champion Evan Courageous, very talented wrestler. He comes out to the uh, the ring with his valet, a woman named Spice, who I think was probably one of the Nitro girls, although I, I don't I don't fucking know. Um, this match is very quick. There's some decent spots in it. Uh, Medusa crossbodies him off the apron as he walks to the ring, and Courageous turns her around, throws her into the steps. They he, she responds in kind. They fight on the outside for a little bit um he get they get in the ring medusa's like come on hit me this is a wrestling match courageous is reluctant to hit a woman so medusa slaps him in the face and he responds by just fucking decking her and laying her out um courageous big power slam goes for big top rope springboard moonsault misses she hits a spinning kick missile drop kick goes up to the top rope courageous throws her off Pop-up, sit-out, powerbomb into a jackknife cover for a two-count. She bridges up with him, hits kind of a weird-looking powerbomb, rolls him through, but then Courageous is able to bandera out to the apron. Rope-hung neckbreaker, goes up to the top rope, big dive to the floor. Courageous gets her back in the ring, uh, is about to... It looks like he's closing it on finishing this off, but... His, uh, his ostensible girlfriend, Spice, who, again, I have no idea who this woman is, uh, gets on the apron, uh, starts distracting him, hits a very shitty low blow spot. Um, where, like, the referee's basically looking right at it. Um, and then Medusa comes up behind her, or comes up behind Evan Courageous after, uh, Evan Courageous has been turned on by his girlfriend, and Medusa hits a really great-looking bridging German uh, and gets the pin, and she wins the title in 3 minutes and 32 seconds. Medusa, uh, I didn't care enough to look it up, but they were saying that she was the first woman to win a men's title um, in WCW, which I would believe she is now the cruiserweight champion, and she walks off with Spice. Um, I am sure that spice probably never appeared on tv again this time they were doing back then yep uh i'll give spots in it but the crowd does not care the finish is stupid yeah Uh, you know 
like it's 1999. They played it straight up, which, you know, thank God, better than what WWE, WWF was doing at that time with women's wrestling. Um, yeah, he gets a couple good looking moves in. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like they're both still, though, uncomfortable working this kind of match, though. Yeah. So, but, like, at the end of the day, like, this was clearly nothing. They had devalued the Cruiserweight title. Like, okay, cool, we have a finish. Devaluing the Cruiserweight title by having the Cruiserweight champion go out on, like, Nitro every week and job out to people in two minutes. So, like, this mm-hmm. is not a belt that anyone gives a shit about at all. No. And, and like, on one, I would have liked to have seen, like, a more thorough flushing out of, like, the spice, the spice turn. Like I don't care about spice, but at least like commit to something, man. At least give us like, hey, okay, cool, punch there. But like, there's no real follow up to that. It's just like, cool, bye. That's it. See you oh, later. That's not the way Russo booked, brother. No, it's not. He did. He did throw everything at the wall. He called it Crash TV. I think that was his call, uh, his name for it. He just throwing as much shit at the wall as possible, and you know, hoping it popped a rating, and it never did. Nope. Literally never, ever did. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certain that we probably never got uh, Spice ever again. Uh, and, you know, it, who fucking cares at this point? Yep. Yeah. Like Medusa was only hired because they wanted to stick it to WWF by having her throw the title in the trash. And then they didn't really ever have any her do anything again. Like, they never really ever hired any other women's wrestlers. Pretty much, they had her wrestle like Akira Hokuto a couple times, which is good. And she was awesome. Yeah, and they were like, "Okay, that's done. See ya." You know, uh, that's what uh, women's wrestling was in the nineties. So next up, the greatest Washington football quarterback of all time, Norman Smiley. Uh, wearing a Champ Bailey jersey. Shout out to Champ Bailey. He went to the Hall of Fame recently. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, by the way, big shout out to uh, a, a, a legend going into the, the, the one of the newest pro football Hall of Famers, the guys we've talked yes. about many times on this podcast. Big, big congratulations to Steve Mongo McMichael, WCW legend and now pro football Hall of Famer. Great guy. That just got uh, announced, what, last week? I thought that was fucking awesome. I was it's, very happy for Mongo, uh, especially because I know he's he's been battling ALS. He's in, like, very failing health. I don't know if you saw, like, the video that was on ESPN about him. I think he's in, like, I think he got hospitalized within the past couple of weeks. Like, like he got, he got, he went to the hospital. He, like, he had to be hospitalized, like, a couple days after they announced he was going into the hall. Yeah. Like, he just is, I mean, really, like, he, he looks like he's got pretty end-stage ALS, like, not going to be around very much longer. But very happy that he was able to uh, get elected to the Hall of Fame while he's still around. I'll tell you what, man, I would take any Mongo match versus any of the next things that come up. Oh, my God. But, yeah, very, very happy for Mongo. Congratulations to, to Mongo the, in the going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I thought I, I want to do a little more research on this, but that means presumably uh, that the a match that we talked about not too long ago on this podcast, uh, Steve Mongo McMichael versus Kevin Green. Yep. From I think it was Halloween Havoc 1997 is probably the first and only match in pro wrestling history between two pro football hall of famers was there any lt match that could be in there he wrestled once he wrestled bam bam 
I think that was the only time he ever wrestled. Was he wrestled Bam Bam at WrestleMania 10? Hmm. Um, I think that might be it. You know, I I I, I don't know if Bronco Nagurski ever wrestled any and another Hall of Famer in the 40s. That might have been possible, but there, I I doubt there are like comprehensive records that you could go and find. You know, so yeah, I I'm gonna say the only match in history before uh between two uh two hall of famers was uh, kevin green and mongo but yeah very happy for mongo um but yes we have got speaking of football screaming norman smiley the uh, wcw hardcore champion he is in a full washington redskins and they you know they they were the washington redskins at the time uh uniform full pads uh he's got the hip pads in everything he is in full he is in full gear um, wearing a Champ Bailey jersey, um, he is defending the title against Meng, and he cuts this funny promo where, like, he's he's like terrified of Meng. Poops his pants. The producer is like moving around too suddenly, and it's spooking him, and he's like freaking out, you know. Um, and so he goes out here to fight Meng, and you know, it's it, it, he goes out again. He's wearing full full football pads, football helmet. Um, wheels out a giant cart full of weapons, including a giant can of Surge. <laughs> which I, where is that? I want the giant Surge can. I'll, hold on. I'll get research on it. Holy shit. Um, they, he gets down to the ring, and they immediately all start throwing shit at each other. Uh, Meng slams a cart into him, hit him with a bike catch, trash can a bunch of times. They immediately go backstage. Mang is no-selling everything. Ton of weapon shots to the head that he's just no-selling. Uh, throws him into catering. I like the catering area. Body slams him through a table. Tries to throw a cinder block at his head, and he misses. Um, Norman's funniest spot of the match. Norman sprays him with a fire extinguisher, like kind of gets Mang off balance for a second, and then runs away by just jumping into a curtain. And like knocking the whole thing over, he just runs away and just leaps in this curtain and he just knocks everything over and then he's just gone. Uh, really funny. Um, and then Meng is suddenly set upon by getting jumped backstage by Fit Finley and Brian Nobbs of the Nasty Boys, who both jump him for reasons unclear. Uh, Meng is beating both these guys up two on one. No sells a hundred chair shots to the head in a row. But then Finley comes up behind him, hits him once with a pipe, and then that that's that does it. That knocks Meng out. Uh, Norman Smiley emerges from underneath the table at this moment and sneaks over to Meng, very gently covers him, wins, and then sprints away, still the hardcore champion in five minutes. Uh, and then Meng suddenly wakes up and puts the referee Nick Patrick in the Tongan death grip. But uh, Norman Smiley has escaped still the uh, hardcore champion. Uh, got some genuine laughs out of me watching this. I mean, Norman Smiley is a funny ass dude. I, I, very funny match. Uh, was like he's just entertaining. He's just getting his ass beat the entire time and somehow he's getting over for it. Yeah. Um, I will say that there's not really much to talk about with this match. It's just like Norman trying to hit the crap out of Mang. Mang no selling everything. They're really leaning into the like Samoan, the Samoan head trope. Isn't he Tongan? 
or he's Tongan, but it's like it, I think it's, it applies to both Samoans. Yes, and- Islanders, yeah. so to speak. If you're a Pacific Islander, your head is made out of steel because, like, he literally no sells like forty five chair shots to the head in a row. Yeah, actually, on the official stats page, it says they resist bludgeoning damage. And then, and then Finley hits him in the back once with a pipe, and he dies. Well, to be fair, it's a lead pipe. It, 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 oh. It's got more mass. I know, but like, let's be real here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, very uh, confusing kind of thing. Um, Norman, God bless that man. But yeah, not much more to say here. I love that Norman Smiley is like actually a legit shooter. Like, watch <laughs> the stuff from the UWF in like 1989. He was like, he was like in there with like, like real ass dudes doing real ass shit. And then <laughs> 10 years later, he's like, he's doing this, you know? Um, Norman Smiley is maybe one of the only guys who could who could challenge Megan in an actual fight on the roster. Uh, but yeah, he's he's hilarious in this fucking match. Very I, funny. I, I really I really enjoyed him fucking jumping into the curtain. That was really funny. <laughs> uh, it was like a Tom and Jerry match. It was uh, backstage. Uh, David Flair, the the charisma void son of Ric Flair is he's in a crowbar on a pole match. He gets a delivery to his locker room. It's a golden crowbar uh, that he gets from uh, an unknown, unknown uh, secret admirer. So Uh, is he just a joker now? Is that his gimmick? That was his gimmick was that he was just kind of insane. But he just again, he there's just nothing there with that kid, man. He just he had nothing, nothing. All juice presence (laughs) in the family went to Charlotte, not to him. Uh, It's it's crazy. Um because he really does look like Rick a little bit in the face. You yes. Know? Like you really see it that he's he's Rick's kid, but he's just got like he's got nothing, man. I mean, the way they they brought him in too, like he was always just Rick's kid. It wasn't like Rick Flair star prodigy. He's always just like I'm Rick Flair's kid. I know, but like even like like Char- know, it felt like Charlotte always had the pedigree, whereas David was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm. Uh, it always felt like Rick superseded david and david was there to enhance rick whereas charlotte was really like yeah that's my dad but i'm my own person yeah reed actually if you if you ever watch him before he uh tragically died uh he actually had a little bit of talent he had some good matches in all japan if i remember correctly uh before he uh he tragically passed away but yeah um he he might have been something i don't know but like all of the talent in the family completely bypassed david all the charisma totally bypassed david all gone all sucked. used. And I, like, supposedly David never even wanted to be a wrestler in the first place. You know what? That doesn't surprise me. That kind of feels very accurate. Yeah. So very, very Mike Von Erich of him. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next up, the short-lived and little-remembered anti-American stable of the revolution. Uh, all of these guys are American, by the way. But it's an anti-American stable. It's the guys that have renounced America, basically. Um, it is the franchise Shane Douglas, Dean Malenko, okay, Perry Saturn, sure. A very jacked woman named Asia, who was like a power plant, you know, out, out of the power plant. She was fucking yoked. I think she's been on the – I think we've had her before. Her twice. She was kind of floating around a little bit in the late 90s. Um, but you're like, okay, Shane Douglas, okay, cool. Dean Malenko, yeah, great. Perry Saturn, awesome. Okay, you know Asia. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Fine, um, some talent here, um, but you know they're they're all in this like stupid stable that nobody remembers. They are taking on 
Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, and three mystery tag partners. Um, and uh, Hacksaw cuts this promo. Hacksaw at this point is old as fuck. Never a great worker anyway, but like, I mean, this guy is like, you know. <laughs> um, they He cuts a promo beforehand. They, uh, mean Gene asks him, you know, who are his mystery partners? He's refusing to... Uh, to uh to say but he says they're all true blue americans um duggan comes out by the way the uh the uh stipulation of this match if hacksaw jim duggan who is defending the pride of america mr waving the american flag mr usa chant if he loses he has to renounce his american citizenship (laughs) it's fucking sick i'm not gonna lie um, he comes out. Who are his partners? Who are they? It's the Varsity Club. No pop for this fucking stable from 1990. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Varsity Club. Literally a 10-year-old stable that was not over in the fucking first place, but they got the gang together. It's Mike Rotunda. It's Rick Steiner. It's Kevin Sullivan. They're all wearing their fucking varsity jackets out to the ring. And I mean, no one gives a shit about the varsity club, but it's like, it's really like, I mean, you know. It is incredible that they made, like, outside the ring, Rick, notwithstanding, but they made Rick Steiner, who was like a crowd favorite for the longest time, just have literally zero reaction. You went back to the varsity club gimmick, man. It's better than Leather Daddy Rick Steiner, which we had been seeing in late. late, late. I don't know, man. Leather Daddy Steiner might have gotten a pop. But I mean, like this to me is like, yeah, like if you did this today and it's like somebody, whoever, I, I don't know, who's like a shitty older mid Carter uh, that you could do this with. Jinder Mahal and 3MB. No, people would like that. <laughs> like, like Jinder Mahal is out to defend the pride of, you know, Canada or whatever. Or I guess I guess it's India, but he's from Canada. Spirit say, Squ- Spirit, no, Spirit Squad would get a pop too. Spirit Squad. Would, I was gonna say this is like if someone like Hacksaw Jim Duggan went out there with three Mister Carters and he's like, "All right, here we go." And then the core comes out and it's like, "There oh, you go, that's Jackson. it." And it's and it's uh, it's David Otunga. <laughs> it's like you would get the same reaction if it was the core. You found it. Varsity Club gets here. Um, <laughs> so. Duggan is wrestling in this gigantic brown jumpsuit for some reason. Uh, He looks terrible. Shane Douglas, by the way, is in this match, but he has a torn bicep, so he can't wrestle. So he spends this match on commentary. So it is effectively a four on three uh, wrestling match. With the faces having the advantage, which is a great idea. It's having the advantage, but it's not really an advantage because Hacksaw Jim Duggan (laughs) never tags out of the match. Hacksaw wrestles the whole match. Like, he literally never tags out. And let me tell you, I wrote this down, and let me – this is a take that I have. Let me see if you agree with this. Watching Hacksaw and Duggan wrestle here is like listening to Joe Biden speak. <laughs> okay, let's see. 129 episodes. It took one <laughs> J- Hacksaw Jim Duggan match for us to fucking lose our minds. It's 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 meandering. It's weak. Everything looks weak. It's depressing. It makes no sense. 
Fuck, it's so bad, dude. Yeah, again, he never tags out of the match. (laughs) You know, at least let Rick do something, you know? Rick could still go. I mean, Kevin was like 50 years old, Sullivan, you know? Whatever, he sucked 10 years ago anyway. Rotunda Rotunda was always a solid worker. Rick could still fucking go. Those guys don't do anything. No, they just stand there. It's just Duggan doing really weak shit. Um, Shane Douglas spends much of the match... Uh, shit talking Bill Clinton on commentary, which fair, you know, um, Perry's in there. Perry does do a couple cool things. He does a really nice springboard drop kick at one point goes for moonsault misses. Um, almost everybody in like, like Duggan's in there with Perry for a little bit. He's in there with Malenko for a little bit. He's in there with two of the coolest workers in the world and it's still terrible. Um, and then eventually we get this big brawl spot where like that's like the only involvement of like most of the people in this match is this brawl spot where they all kind of get in. They put Asia upside down in the tree of woe in the corner. Kevin Sullivan hits a running knee. And then. Swerve. No apparent reason. The <laughs> city club all turn on Hacksaw Jim Duggan <laughs> and they all beat the shit out of him. They also all beat the shit out of the revolution, too. This is not just like like, oh, are the are the. You know, are the 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 hack are, are the varsity club guys joining the other stable? No, they also beat up like Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn too. Um, and then they just leave. Uh, they knock out Hacksaw. Shane Douglas runs in, and Shane Douglas <laughs> runs in on commentary because technically he's still part of the match. Uh, and he pins Hacksaw, and he and the Revolution win the match. Four minutes fifty three seconds. Uh, Dave Meltzer gives it minus one star, which is generous. Yes, I was going to say, this is minus and, three. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan now must affect North Korea. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not talking about the match in general. I'm going to talk no, about this first. Insane. <laughs> Shane Douglas sounds like he smokes 20 packs a day on commentary. He sa- sa- sandpaper sounds smoother than him, but holy shit. The only thing I get from this match, besides work rate, besides how like it's convoluted, makes no sense. It is very clear who needs to be at the top of the card in WCW because it took seven men and women to beat Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Why is he not a world champion? The real he's like he's like Roman Reigns. Uh, he's like Roman Reigns, like kind of caliber power level. That. that yeah insane power level from Jim Duggan, but no, we know the real reason is because the revolution were treated as jobbers. Oh, it's so stupid. I know. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely fucking crazy. It is remarkable, though, that I'll say this. Hacksaw is a large man. A very large I dude. Mean, he's in there with, like, obviously, you know, Malenko and Saturn can work circles around him, but uh, he, like, he makes them look tiny. Tiny, yes. Like it's insane how like he's he seems more bare than human. Yeah, it's 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 fucking you know he he makes him look huge. And I mean like Hacksaw was like a a, a legit like apparently very good uh, like D one lineman at one point. He played like SMU maybe. I mean he was like when he did that three point stance, he moved quick for a big guy in that mm-hmm. short burst. Um, obviously, as I'm sure you can imagine, this is going to set up a, uh, huge, uh, revival run for the varsity club, right? No. Does it, doesn't Hacksaw end up joining Team Canada after this? Yeah, he does. Well, he's renounced his American citizenship. So now he, you know, he, he you know, cl- the closest thing, he's a Canadian now. Um, 
Yeah. He kind of looks like a Canadian. This sets up a total of uh, two televised matches for the Varsity Club. Uh, Rotunda and Steiner um, teamed on Nitro and then on Thunder that week. And then that was it. The Varsity Club never appeared again. Um, ever. That, that was that was literally the entire run of the Varsity Club. Well done. Um, well Mike. done. Although Mike Rotundo would end up uh, teaming up again as uh, like a kind of a Varsity Club revival in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, they were they were called uh, Varsity Club 2000, and uh, they wrestled in All Japan for a couple of years, and I'm sure they were good. Uh, but yeah. All of that to set up literally a total of two matches. Uh, like, literally, like, they wrestled the next two nights. Monday on Nitro, Tuesday on Thunder, and then that was it. So Has Chase U done the uh, varsity jackets yet? Because I think Duke Hudson's got one. Um, Does he? I don't know. They wear the t-shirts. They should have Letterman jackets, though. I mean, that is, that is uh, uh, you know, indisputable. They Chase should. U is a faction begging for an NWO takeover. They should have Letterman jackets, and I should be able to purchase one. Yeah, I would wear one. Yeah, I want to fucking chase you, Letterman Jack. That'd be fucking cool. Um, so yeah, that that was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Just wait, there's more. <laughs> this hacksaw alone was so fucking bad. Um, it's amazing. So uh, next up, speaking of the Varsity Club, we've got OG Varsity Club member from the University of Oklahoma Sooners. It is Dr. Death. Steve Williams. Uh, we find out before, so we got some stupid gimmick with, um, so Oklahoma, the Ed Ferrara character. Which Wait, is, who's he supposed to be a mockery of? I can't, I can't tell. A very mean-spirited mockery of uh, Jim Ross. No, uh, that's Jim Ross? He would make fun of JR's Bell's palsy and, you know, just kind of do a shitty JR impression and kind of like make fun of him, kind of pretend to be him on commentary. Uh, one of the worst things that Vince Russo ever did, and that is really saying something. Um, he is managing, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's played by Ed Ferrara, who was one of, uh, 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 his buddies, um, Vince Russo's buddies. Um, he is managing, of course, from the University of Oklahoma, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And Dr. Death is in a feud with Vampiro, who is, uh, hanging out with the band The Misfits. Uh, which I, I, you know, I guess I think like a reasonably popular, like, kind of like punk band type thing. Um, although I've never listened to any of their music. I've seen people wear their t-shirts before. They were founded in 1977 in Loudy, New Jersey. In, oh, in New Jersey? Where is, where, where in New Jersey? L-O-D-I? I've never heard of it. Lodi, it's pronounced Lodi. Never heard of it. Bergen County. It's way up there. Lots of dumb Italians. My mom says lots of dumb Italians. Okay, that checks out. Um... But yeah, so they, he's out there with the misfits and the, he's he's wrestling Dr. Death. And the idea is if he beats Dr. Death, he gets his hands on Oklahoma, who I guess has just been you know really obnoxious. And, you know, you know, I mean, you know, who doesn't want to beat the shit out of him? Right. No. Um, so we have this match um, right before we go on. We cut to the back and we find out that the misfits have locked Oklahoma in a shark cage. He has been waylaid by bandits en route to the uh, en route to the curtain to get out there. Um, and 
Vampiro makes his entrance, and the Misfits wheel Oklahoma out to the ring in this giant shark cage. Um, Dr. Death makes his entrance, and Vampiro hits a big dive off the shark cage to start the match. Uh, you know, the the match itself is it's fine for a Vampiro match, which is, you know, uh, if you if you have found someone who has seen a good Vampiro match, you uh, you're you're you have found a liar, folks. But for a Vampiro match, it's okay. Um, you know, it's a good chop exchange. Doctor Death bumps him with those great shoulder blocks. You know that he had. You know, hit those running shoulder blocks to the leg. Uh, gets some heat. He hits a big belly-to-belly superplex. The misfits all get in the ring. Doctor Death, but you know, beats the shit out of all the misfits at the same time. To be fair, the misfits were taking those fucking bumps from Doctor Death. So shout out to them. Little I mean, I, I mean, stuff. I thought I thought they were wrestlers. They're getting in there. They're taking those bumps. And good for them. Um, you know. All the while, Ed Ferrara has a headset on. Oklahoma has a headset on. So you can hear him do his shitty JR impression on commentary while he is in the shark cage at ringside. Um, uh, but the 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 never-ending, there, there seem to be 500 of the misfits. Um, they all distract Vampiro long enough. Or they distract Dr. Death long enough for Vampiro to get back into it. He hits a spinning kick, goes for another one. Dr. Death catches him into a back suplex. Dr. Death gets on him uh, and it starts beating him up, beating him up, beating him up. Referee Charles Robinson, Lil Nate, gets in there, uh, tries to stop him. Uh, but Dr. Death grabs him, throws him to the ground. So Lil Nate just disqualifies him. And that's the end of the match. Uh, Vampiro beats Dr. Death by disqualification because, according to Dave Meltzer, Dr. Death refused to job to Vampiro clean. Huh. Because he was still such a big star in Japan that he didn't want to do jobs on TV in America because it would, like, get back to Japan that he had, like, lost to somebody and it would make him look bad over there. Um, so he refused to 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 do the job for Vamp. Um, so that means, uh, but he loses by DQ. So that means, uh, oh shit, that means Vamp's going to get uh, Oklahoma here. Um, Doctor Death beats the shit out of him a little bit more. Uh, Vamp is and Vamp is laying there in the ring, and you hear Oklahoma kind of psyching himself up, like, oh, like Vamp's he's he's dead. Doctor Death killed him. All right. Uh, I, I can take him. I can take him. He's unconscious. I can take him. And so he, he finally – it takes him forever to fucking actually open the cage door. Um, so you have to listen to him talk for fucking what feels like 15 minutes. Awful. Um, Probably the, th- that's the low point of the show is listening to him talk for the, those two and a half minutes. Nails on a fucking chalkboard, bro. Um, eventually he gets in there. Um, and like by that point, Vamp is like already standing up. Uh He's commentating for himself while he's like beating up Vamp, who's who's still down. Um, kind of like the uh, like the famous Booker T TNA clip, but not as funny. Yeah, uh, he hits one admittedly decent looking jumping DDT on Vamp, uh, but then the uh, Vamp comes back, hits an Uranagi. The Misfits all beat him up at the same time, right in front of the referee. No disqualification, uh, and Vamp steals his hat. You know, he's got the JR, you know, kind of Stetson hat on and hits him with a Michinoku driver and gets the pin two minutes and 52 seconds. 
Dave Meltzer gives this negative one quarter star. And again, very generous of Dave. Um, this is hardly a wrestling match at all. This whole thing was absolute shit. Man, Dave must have uh, been worried about his taxes that year because he probably wrote this off as charity. Uh, this this was bad. Just all like all around, no one looks good for this. No one looks great. Like Doctor Death is such a meat man and is always physically impressive. But like, who's this for? What does this do? Who gets over? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, Oklahoma was an utter like. I'm all for like parody, but this was not. This was even. This was not funny. This was not in good taste. This this was awful because it's so clear what they're trying to do, and it's just done as like a middle. It's it's like a middle schoolers kind of like uh, idea of what's funny. Yeah, and not in the funny ha 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 little middle schoolers are dumb way. This is like the middle schoolers trying to be du- uh, mean and funny in that way. Just bad. Uh, that said, Randy Orton. You stole the Oklahoma stomp. You stole the Oklahoma stomp. Actually, that's that's the Garvin stomp. He stole that from uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it goes from uh, Ronnie Garvin to Oklahoma at Ferrara to Randy Orton. So, you know, he's he's sitting under the learning tree of, uh, of Ed Ferrara. Of greats. Uh, he's honoring the greats that come before him. Uh, but, yeah, this is like the most just, you know – setting aside the like the shitty jr parody um which was not funny at best often very uncomfortable and mean-spirited at worst um this is all just dumb and stupid and again um dr death refusing to do a job i think dr death was a great wrestler obviously you know john fucked dr death and all that but i thought john john i think dr death was a great wrestler uh but like I, I always have a lack of respect for anybody who refuses to do a job because, hey, man, you know, this shit is fake, right? Right. You know that this is fake, brother, right? I can't I, I can't lose. And it's like like the idea I, like I, his 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 justification is like, yeah, like I go. It goes back to Japan and you know, does, it? Look, does it really. But like, do you think people really give a shit? No, they don't. Dr. Death. Come on, man. I'm, I'm I'm speaking this to you, guy who died 15 years ago. <laughs> you need to have a more mature attitude about these things. Stop it's that. never too late to turn it around. Yeah. Uh, so what could make this worse or better, depending on your uh, where, where you fall in the blue? <laughs> what Nazi twins are next, folks? Ron and Don. Um, no, this is no, this is Gerald and Patrick. What are their names in this fucking team? Creative Control, Gerald and Patrick. Are they just called Gerald and Patrick? <laughs> yes, <What>? they are. <laughs> Jerry and Patty. Called Gerald and Patrick. <laughs> okay, so it's a six-person tag. It's supposed to be a six-person tag, but we'll get to that. It's supposed to be uh, the team of Kurt Hennig. And the team of creative control, which is just more of Vince Russo era using like backstage insider terms to try and pop like three people. I think it's, um, it would be a great gimmick on the indies, but it is so stupid when you're out on TV. It's not a great gimmick anywhere. Uh, and, you know, the creative control are Ron and Don Harris, the Nazi twins um, wearing suits. 
Um, they are going to be teaming against the team of uh, Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray, and a woman named Midnight, who is this really yoked, tall bodybuilder woman uh, who was like fresh out of the power plant. She had maybe a handful of matches in her career and she, you know, like, didn't do much. But to be honest with you, I came away from this match wanting to see a little more of Midnight because I was actually very impressed by her. Dude, I loved her entrance. The entrance is so tough. I thought it was kind of goofy, but, you know, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. But yeah, uh, so that is supposed to be the match. Um, six person tag. So, yeah, uh, creative control and uh, Hennig versus Harlem Heat and this woman midnight. But uh, that doesn't happen. So uh, midnight had recently started, I guess, like like Booker T had kind of started like inviting her around kind of or like like having her like kind of a company Harlem Heat and Stevie Ray doesn't like her. Stevie Ray doesn't trust her. So he says, you know what? I'm not into this. I don't like her. You guys can have your little match yourselves. I'm not going to have your back, brother. And then he just doesn't show up. He just doesn't come out with them. So it becomes a three-on-two handicap match. Um, this is Midnight's fourth ever wrestling match. She had been on the WCW roster for a total of three weeks. Um and would be on the WCW main roster for about another month or so, and then would never be seen again. Uh, but she is very physically impressive. She's really jacked. She's really tall. Like, she's standing next to Booker T, who's listed at 6'3", is almost certainly not 6'3". Um, but it, like, looks almost as tall as uh, he does. Um, so... And she she hits one really, really nice looking drop kick in this match where she gets really fucking great height. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, if she if she came along 20 years later and was in the WC, WWE Performance Center, the, you know, you might have a fucking stew going there with this woman. Oh, yeah. Um, but she doesn't really do that much. Um, they get heat on Booker for a bit. Um, then, uh, yeah, Booker gets a scissor kick on one of the Nazi twins. Midnight then gets a hot tag where, again, she hits that very nice-looking dropkick. Uh, numbers game catches up to her. They have uh, Virgil on their team, the heels. Uh, Vincent, a.k.a. Uh, Virgil from WWF, um, he interferes. She gets sent to the floor, beaten up. Stevie Ray eventually comes out to ringside but never actually gets involved. Like, he walks out there, and he has, like, an exchange with Booker. They, like, talk to each other, but he never actually gets up on the apron and joins the match. And he stands there and doesn't actually ever really... He doesn't get involved in the match until the very end um, where Booker gets a hot tag. He kicks everyone's ass. Very good hot tag from Booker. Um, I don't know if the idea was supposed to be like Stevie distracts the referee and he misses the pin. Because the only thing that makes sense is like he does that, but they just fucked up the timing. And then like the ref counted the pin and he had to kick out. Like, I thought that was the idea. Or maybe it was Stevie Ray distracts the referee and then they miss the brass knuckle shot. Maybe. That's I... the only thing that makes sense. Because Stevie Ray gets up on the apron, is distracting the referee while Booker's doing his hot tag. Booker finishes the hot tag. Stevie Ray gets down from the apron. The ref counts the pin. Kick out. 
Then we get a brass knuckle shot from Kurt Hennig right in front of the referee. He's staring right at it. And then they just pin Booker T, and that's the end of the match. Uh, the heels win the match in seven minutes and 53 seconds. Also, the camera kind of misses the pin, too. Yeah, I didn't like, notice that. Very easy to not notice it. And then that's it. That's the end of the match. Uh, and according to the stipulation, apparently, this means that the Nazi twins are WCW tag team or, or number one contenders to the WCW tag team champ. I'll be honest. This is kind of the part of the show I start tuning out because it's been six matches in a row of filth and dog shit. Um, I well, do not. Ha- <laughs> this match is so it is, is terrible, but it's also way better than almost anything else on the show because Booker is at least competent. Yes. Midnight. hits one good drop kick. Yes. Booker is cool. Midnight looks awesome, but they're facing the Nazi twins who have negative charisma. And unfortunately, Kurt Hennig, who. I kind of feel was at this point in time very much set adrift in WCW. Very much set adrift. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, um, just not interesting. Not, not the guy that he was. Uh, no. Before. So uh, I will say, though, Book hits a perfect, perfect scissor kick oh, early in this match. Kick. Yeah, he really he really nails it nice in this match. Murders the hell out of him. Deservedly so. But yeah, I did not care for this match at all. No, I, I didn't either. It was really... Really, really fucking bad. Uh, and by the way, did the uh, the Nazi twins ever get that uh, tag team title shot that they allegedly won? No, they did not. That, that's even funnier. Did not. Because they would turn on Kurt Hennig the next night on Nitro. And then they would lose the lethal lottery tournament uh, for a for the tag team titles uh, on Nitro, you know, heading into end of 99 into early 2000. So they never actually got this number one contendership that they were promised. Swerve. Yeah. So, you know, no, no one, no one's giving a shit here about anything that's going on. The only good swerve is Strickland. Yes. So next up, hey, we've got some, here's some classic WCW. It's a bunkhouse brawl. We've got a Rhodes in it. There's no way this could go badly. Uh, we got a Rhodes in the bunkhouse brawl. It is Dustin Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, you would think a bunkhouse brawl between Dustin Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett would probably be good. Uh, and you would be wrong. Uh, somehow this ends up being bad anyway. Uh, Dustin gets jumped by Jeff Jarrett as he is cutting his pre-match promo, which is really just him bitching about how his dad, Dusty, is not employed by WCW anymore. Um, and they fight backstage. I thought it was funny. Uh, Jeff Jarrett actually throws him through the broken table that Meng had previously thrown Norman Smiley. I did catch that. And uh, they just never cleaned it up or moved it. There's still this broken table sitting there, and Jeff Jarrett puts him right on that table. Um, their brawl on the stage, um, you know, it's a it's a typical weapons brawl. You know, it's nothing special. You know, Dustin Dustin gets up on him, hits him with the cowbell. You know, hey, classic Rhodes. He gets the cowbell with the bull rope, hits him with it, um, posts him, throws powder in his eyes, whips him with the belt, and. Very babyface thing to do. He attacks the referee, beats the shit out of him, duct tapes the ref to the rope, and duct tapes the ref's mouth closed. Which, if you duct tape the referee to the rope, how do you win? (laughs) If you physically restrain the referee from counting a pinfall, how do you win the match? Because, Uh, you know, like... 
if because like it doesn't make any sense. Like, are like it's a no disqualification match. So why is the ref getting involved in the first place? To listen to the referee about anything. He's just there to count the pin. You can ignore him. You don't. He he can't disqualify you. So there's no point in doing this at all. It's the most boneheaded shit in the fucking world. And he's a baby face doing that. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, not great. Not great, Jim. Eventually, Jeff Jarrett low blows Dustin Rose as Kurt Hennig comes back down um, and frees the referee. We got a very long chokehold spot. We do the three arm raises. Dustin flips him off on the last one. Hits a back suplex. Big Uranagi. But uh, Hennig breaks up the pin. He gives him another cheap shot. Dustin kicks out. Dustin turns Jared around. Hits him with the shattered dreams. But ref, uh, Hennig pulls the ref out before he can count the pin. Dustin then responds with the shattered dreams to Kurt Hennig. So he's booted both guys in the nuts at full force. Dust, uh, Jeff Jarrett tosses Dustin out. We fight on the ramp some more. Uh, Dustin does a really shitty... Uh, like he tries to, he starts climbing up the stage rigging, and but he gets like two feet up in the air and then just hops off and does a really shitty looking kick. Um, shitty spy movie action scene. Yeah, Hennig follows them up. Dustin hits him with a bulldog on the stage, but then Jeff Jarrett climbs up a ladder that had been set up on the stage, presumably for the later ladder match, and Jarrett comes off the ladder with the guitar shot explodes the guitar on Dustin's head and Jeff Jarrett gets the pin and wins the match wins the bunkhouse brawl 11 minutes 21 seconds uh some of the action's fine but again I can't get over the utter nonsensicalness of nonsensicality is that the word I don't know good enough utter nonsensicality of babyface Dustin Rhodes deciding to duct tape the referee to the rope Uh, so can't count a pin yeah, really kind of dumb. Um, it seems like, they, again, they mentioned like when he came back to WCW that he was, quote unquote, saddled with a bad gimmick because he did the whole like Undertaker Faye, like set. He was seven, I seven, think was, whatever the hell it is. Uh, Dustin was by his own admission now like crazy whacked out on drugs at this time yeah not not even there was this the softest bunkhouse brawl we've ever seen this was a very much like wrestling match more so than a bunkhouse brawl yeah pretty uh, much like dustin's most recent bunkhouse brawl was better than this yes dustin's still having you know dustin's still capable even in his age of going out there and putting in a fucking shift you know yeah so uh, this was dumb this didn't feel good it was more Jeff Jarrett kind of it's tough because Jeff appears two more times on the card, too. So he goes through this match. Yes. I don't know. This is just uh, we are very far from the our, our last uh, last Jeff Jarrett. I'm really trying to find things to say. And I just don't have anything other than maybe I want Dusty's shirt, the, the, the Dustin shirt that does uh, the Dusty shirt Dustin has. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was pretty good. Um. Because this was just like, it it was there. It was there. It's one of the most boring bunkhouse brawls of all time. Um, And I mean, like the 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 like the the guitar shot of the ladders. Cool enough. But um, man, man, oh, man, 
I just cannot get over how stupid it is that Dustin would do that as a baby face that he would again like it's it's what I say all the time obviously him doing that means that he does not give a shit about winning the match yep so if he gives that little of a shit about winning the match why should I why should I give a shit why should I care about this if you obviously care about it so little that you are trying to physically restrain the referee from helping you win the match I don't get it, brother. I simply do not get it. Nope. So, uh, next up, boy, man, it just this shit doesn't end. <laughs> it's a listen. Hey, you know, if you're doing Vince Russo uh, bingo, we've got a pole match. It's a crowbar on a pole match. It is Diamond Dallas Page versus David Flair. Um, David Flair is being a little wacky guy, ladies and gentlemen, and we live in a society, David cuts a promo or like we, we get this little vignette where he's like backstage and he's like playing with his gold crowbar and he's just like squealing like a, like a, like a, like a rodent. Uh, it's very strange. I mean, he looks like one and DDP comes out, makes his entrance, gets in the ring, the king of Jersey. Um, and he starts cutting this promo uh, he calls him a rat bastard, and he says that crowbar will be in these extremely heavily taped hands. This man could not have more tape on his hands and all of his fingers. It's crazy. Um, he makes his DDP makes his entrance, and then David Flair, wearing street clothes, jumps in from the crowd and hits him with the crowbar, um, with his golden crowbar. There's a different crowbar that is up on the pole. The objective is to get the crowbar and use it. Uh, but he are, he's brought his own crowbar to the party. And he uses it on DDP. DDP like sells dead on the outside. Referee Charles Robinson uh, tells ring announcer David Penzer, uh, DDP can't continue. But right as Penzer's about to make the announcement, DDP throws Penzer to the ground, rolls back into the ring, and the bell sounds. Uh, we then get a uh, very normal kind of low-level wrestling for a couple of minutes. Um, David gets most of the offense, um, hits a DDT. Then DDP swings him around into a spinning lariat. He tries to get the crowbar. David low blows him. Thinks for a second about getting the crowbar, which you already had a crowbar. Where was your other crowbar? What did he do with it? He just threw it away. Um, but he reconsiders. He locks in the figure four leg lock. DDP turns it over, escapes. David's able to climb up, get the crowbar at this point. Takes a big swing at it. Misses. DDP hits the diamond cutter and gets the pin in three minutes and 26 seconds. Afterwards, DDP hits him with another diamond cutter off the middle rope. Um, he's about to hit him again. But uh, David Flair is saved by a, a young woman who has been serving as his uh, psycho stalker. Uh, fans of late WCW and early TNA will note this is the TV debut of Daphne, the late great Daphne. This was her uh, first thing that she ever did. And she able to she she gets in there and makes the save for david flair the only thing i sucked yeah the only thing i think it was like wow this is how they get to crowbar the wrestler 
Yeah. Yeah. Because he's obsessed with crowbars. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, I'm not talking about the match. I, I want the actual like crowbar. The wrestler <laughs> would be much better than this. Uh, uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about the match at all. Bar and DDP, both fucking Jersey guys through and through. Rest. I wonder if they ever wrestled each other, by the way. I assume so. Maybe. S- on like a Nitro or Thunder. Maybe. That seems like a WCW Thunder type match. I'm going to look that up while you talk. I mean, I don't have much to say here other than like, again, the match was what well, the match is exactly what you'd expect it to be, which was awful and bad and boring and dull. Um, I mean, I will say that uh, Diamond Cutter, he hits from the top rope after the match. Positively brutal. Uh, th- that's Good. I, I want to make this comparison because like DDP is a very unique character when it comes to wrestling. Um, but there's a guy now who I think has been improperly compared to the rock and stone cold who feels a lot more like DDP and that's LA Knight. I think LA Knight and DDP are way more similar than LA Knight, stone cold or LA Knight, the rock. You know what, Angelo? I completely agree with you. Thank you. Yeah. I don't really have anything else to say about that. I, I <laughs> completely agree with you on this thing. He was, he, normally, normally, when you make comparisons of wrestlers, I like I, I hear you say him, and I'm just like, God damn it, Angelo, that's this, so fucking stupid. This guy's <laughs> dumb. Like this motherfucker <laughs> is so dumb. But no, I actually, I actually agree with that one. You, you, you hit one. You hit one. Hey, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. But like he was cutting the promo, I'm like this feels like I could swap La Knight and him, and La Knight would be cutting this promo and be like, Yeah, that's an La Knight promo. Sure, sure. Similar vibes, you know. Both got kind of their big push when they were like already like 40. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They're both from the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. The pride of Hagerstown, Maryland, L.A. Knight. Uh, he's, he says he's billed from L.A. nowadays, but no, he's from Hagerstown, Maryland. Which is the funniest thing to me. Man, it's straight up from Hagerstown, Maryland. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just looked, searched on cage match. Uh, no recorded matches between DDP and Crowbar. Huh. The only from searching crowbar on DDP's page is crowbar to pull DDP versus David Flair. I would have lost money betting on that. David Flair. I'm I'm just fantasy booking that. I think that match probably would have been pretty good. Crowbar, a very good worker, very underrated. Still still wrestling today. Um, uh, Yeah, Uh, this shit was terrible. David Flair is like the biggest void of charisma in history. David, we we have a Sting Luger match next. Please tell me, please tell me it gets better. I mean, listen, it's the age old rivalry. You know, we're at the end of the 20th century, and this has been one of the rivalries that has defined WCW over the last 12 years. Lex Luger, the total package and Sting, they have been the best of friends. They have been the worst of enemies. Lex has turned on Sting 38 separate fucking times, but Sting is always willing to forgive him because he is Sting. He's a beautiful baby face and we love him, right? And these guys have had some really good matches in the past, so surely this will be good, right? You know? Please. How many I'm I'm going to I'm going to look this up. How many Over- match are there between sting and luke i'm gonna set the over under at 24 and a half 216 okay well uh (laughs) what the hell how many of them are house shows actually including 15 more because he was billed just as the total package not he, he had dropped the lex luger part of his name during this 
period, like end of 99, early 2000. He was just being billed as a total. How many of them were house shows? Total of 231 total matches with both Lex Luger and Sting either facing each other or teaming with one another. Um, A lot of them are house shows, but I'm seeing a ton that are are TV matches, right? A ton, a, a fucking ton. So, yeah. Like, I mean, come on. These guys know each other so fucking well. There's no way that this can be uh, so bad it would make me want to jump out a window. Uh, I, uh, David, I'm reading here on my notes that they're fighting over the ownership of Elizabeth. The honor of Miss Elizabeth. Yes. So uh, Miss Elizabeth, uh, the iconic uh, manager slash wife of Randy Savage is now the manager slash uh, wife of Lex Luger. Um her and Luger were married in real life, but I don't think it was acknowledged on TV at this point. Um, they're kind of doing this thing where it's like uh, Luger owns her contract and her managerial services, but he's an asshole and she desperately needs Sting to rescue her. Um, and Sting actually comes out with Miss Elizabeth and they do this this backstage vignette where she's got like this can of uh, mace basically. And uh, Sting's like, hey, now, nah, look, I got this one. He pulls out a, a, a thing of mace from like his uh, his gear. And he's like, look, I got this one. This is extra strength. Throw out that other one. We'll use this. And she's like, all right, I got you, Stinger. Um, and we get in the ring. Luger jumps him as he gets in the ring, beats him up for a while. Very, very boring heat. Um, and then, yeah, nothing happens for a few minutes. Then eventually... We got to double down. Uh, Elizabeth gets in the ring with the can of mace. And surprise, surprise, we get another turn. Uh, Elizabeth tries to spray Sting with the mace. But the Stinger wasn't born yesterday, folks. He watches the product. He knows not to trust anybody. (laughs) He has switched out the can of mace with a can of silly string. And so he just gets sprayed with silly string. He gives you he gives her like a come on look. <laughs> and this gets no reaction from the crowd, by the way. I thought it was funny. I actually really enjoyed that bit. I, I thought it was kind of funny, too. But like the crowd does not care. Um, so, yeah, um, he he doesn't do anything. He's like, Elizabeth, get real. Get the fuck out of here. And she leaves. Uh, she gets out of the ring. Sting gets his comeback on Luger, bumps him around, big diving splash, running bulldog, two stinger splashes. Uh, he gets in the ring, or he 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 sets up for the Scorpion Deathlock, puts it in. Then Elizabeth gets back in the ring, or he's about to lock it in. Elizabeth gets back in the ring with Sting's iconic baseball bat, uh, and uh, he senses her coming in the ring. He lets go of the hold to stop her. Again, you know, he, Sting is too much of a a a valiant, uh, you know, uh, you know, gentleman, courteous, uh, chivalric uh, uh, gentleman. He's not going to hit a woman, but he's like, "Bitch, put that shit down," and she does. And then he's like, "Okay, now that's settled." Locks in the Scorpion Deathlock. And then uh, Elizabeth just blasts him with the fucking bat. Kills him. And hits him in the fucking collarbone with that shit. Makes a thud. It was, I, God, I bet that, you know, I, I, you know, I know it was probably a wiffle ball bat or whatever painted, uh, painted black or whatever, but that still could not have felt good. No. 
she fucking rips his ass with that thing. <laughs> the stinger got stung. I mean, holy shit, she kills him with that. And the referee's right there, and it's a disqualification. Um, and the total package, Lex Luger. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Sting, Sting goes over to Lex Luger in five minutes and 25 seconds afterwards. Lex Luger uh does the you know sticks sticks uh stings hand wrist in a chair and you know stomps on the chair a bunch of times sting is laying there completely unconscious and that's the end of the match man yeah i mean it'd be quite a challenge to go through and watch all 231 of the sting slash lex luger matches that are recorded at least on the cage match database, which is the most comprehensive one that we have on the internet. Um, I'm sure many of them you can't watch. You know, yeah, there were a lot of them were house shows, but I bet you would really struggle to find in their in their storied career uh, one that was any worse than this. Yeah, this was tough, very tough. Um, again, not not a lot to really talk about. I mean, Lex jumps on him early and then slows it down, which always uh, sucks the air right out of the building and you know there's Elizabeth who slaps the hell out of Lex earlier in this match no disqualification despite it being done in front of the referee Yeah. and then he, she hits the Sting it's like an interference cheap shot on both guys in the match yeah rarely done um, but yeah this was bad um, Lex is he the best pure body guy just as a body not as anything else just a body Lex is the body guy's body guy, folks. He, and, he, uh, he's like Chris Benoit, except for pure body type. Man is just the that that's that he made his whole career off of that. The man just he was the body guy. He was the body guy to end all body guys. Um, and yeah, you know, like sometimes he could fucking, you know, deliver in the ring. But a lot of times he couldn't, you know, it, it, it pretty much always depended on his uh, his opponent. Um, if you got him in there with a with a flare or a you know a lot of times sting or somebody who was really great and you know before he really got worn down with all the the steroids and all the drugs and everything he could deliver, but uh, yeah, um, he, yeah I mean like the guy the guy was the whole career was made off of he looked fucking amazing and and like he wasn't I wouldn't say he's a slouch he was definitely someone you got value in the ring from whoever you put him across. Yeah, he was a guy that could rise to the moment at times. Yes, he could rise to the moment. You can't put him in there with David Flair and expect him to do anything, but you can put him in there with Sting and yeah. expect a good match. Yeah, he was never. Yeah, it's like you said, he was a guy. He was never a guy that you could put in there with someone worse than him, and like he could elevate them. But he was a guy that you could put in there with someone who was really good, and they could elevate him. Yes. That's what I mean. Um, which sometimes you get guys who can't even do that. So so next up, it is a clash of titans in what is being billed as the master of the powerbomb match. He who powerbombs wins. Two men who use powerbomb finishers facing off. Two enormous motherfuckers. Sid Vicious versus Kevin Nash. And these two guys, you know, we know this is the this is the gimmick of the match. It's the power bomb. 
who hits the powerbomb first. So naturally, one of the first things that happened in the match is Kevin Nash is going for normal powerbomb or normal pinfalls like it's a regular match. And the referee is counting the pins. Even though we've been told the only way to win this match is to powerbomb the other guy. No one's paying attention to anything. Um, so I mean, to be fair, I'm not either. Sid goes for the powerbomb first. Nash Lowe blows him. They go out to the floor. Um, they fight for a little bit. Um, Sid gets the upper hand, works on his back, throws him into the apron, throws him into the guardrail, hits him with a chair. Of course we get a ref bump. And this is where the shit gets so... <laughs> so we get the ref right? Um... Sid hits the powerbomb on Nash, but the referee misses it because he's out. Jeff Jarrett comes in. This is our second Jeff Jarrett entrance of three tonight. He smashes Sid with the guitar, knocks Sid out. We get a quick spot where Kevin Nash uh, tries to powerbomb Sid, but his back hurts too much. He's selling the back too much, he can't get Sid up. So he decides, hey... You know what will work instead? I'm going to grab the referee, wake him up. I'm going to point to Sid lying in the mat, lying in the ring. I'm going to point at him and say, hey, you see him? I powerbombed him. Like, you see him laying there? That was me. I did that. I powerbombed him. And the referee just says, okay. And he rings the bell and ends the match. And Kevin Nash is declared the winner of the powerbomb match without actually hitting a powerbomb in six minutes and 58 seconds. It is the single stupidest fucking thing but, okay. I have ever seen. Okay, but. Have you, like, the whole fucking, the whole fucking, like, everything surrounding being a heel in pro wrestling, the whole thing works because of the concept that if the referee doesn't see it, they don't. It doesn't matter. It didn't happen to them. But the whole basis of everything that has ever happened in wrestling history. And but how, hand wave that. It's insane. It's so insane. But it's so fucking insane. But how much do we love Eddie Guerrero for making slamming the chair on the mat, tossing the chair to his opponent, and then feigning on the mat? See, that was funny and cool. <laughs> there was a sound of the chair shot. You still like the only time that like. That, that there's the only there's only like ever been two exceptions to that, and that's like the the Eddie chair spot, which gets special dispensation for being funny and cool because we love Eddie. And the you will sometimes see this in tag matches where the heels will be cheating behind the referee's back, and maybe they'll like clap. Yes. And they'll and the ref will be like, "Oh, I heard the tag," and they didn't actually tag. I don't even like that. Well, that's stupid because, like, why do you need to even do the clap? Like, if, you, if you're able to clap, you're able to tag, right? Like, it's like it, it doesn't make sense because you have that, – that's a spot that you see sometimes. Not that much, but you see it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, the clap and the ref will be like, oh, I heard that. I wasn't looking, but I heard it tag. But then there will be other times where, like, you'll do the baby face hot tag spot. And then the referee will be, oh, I didn't see it. Uh, Babyface, you got to get back on the apron. But they also tagged, and you can presumably hear that tag just as well, you know? Yeah. That, like, I, that's why I don't like that spot, because I feel like those two spots should not exist in the same universe. But to 
just like hit the guy with the fucking uh something and then just be like oh hey by the way you see him i knocked him out uh that was power i did that on a power bomb and the referee just going well okay sure i'll try i'll trust you kevin nash look a trustworthy upstanding individual in pro wrestling look it's to disbelieve you it's objectively stupid extremely dumb it's like but it is so patently ridiculously funny that I, I actually like it because it's so dumb. It's my sense of humor. Uh, anything I think I've ever seen. It's so it's dumb. Like, <laughs> it's like I, I said this before we went on air. We were chatting about it. This is literally like if on the last play of the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes threw it to Michael Hardman and overthrew it and it was incomplete. But the referee wasn't looking. And then Miko Hardman ran over, picked up the ball, and said, hey, I caught the ball. It's a touchdown. We win. And then the referee said, okay, sure. You guys win. And, and but then that would be so funny, that, though. Like, <laughs> It'd be so funny. It would be hysterical. You'd have like, people melting down all over the country because Miko Hardman did that. It would be yeah. hysterical. No, the social media would be hilarious <laughs> if that happened. But. But, but Sid Vicious throws an awful soft chair shot. I can't believe Kevin Nash's back was hurt from that little witty chair shot. That is a man who could swing a softball bat and like nuke home runs all day and night. And he swings a and he swings a chair like he's trying to like they'll give you a little bump. He's just trying to go like eh. Little, it was a little dink. Yeah, little it was dink. A little weak little gimmick. Like even Hulk Hogan's chair shots look better than that. Yeah, but I mean, holy fucking shit, man. Well, I, we, just, I just have never seen anything like that before in my life. It's so fucking stupid. And that makes it 10 straight matches of why the hell am I watching this? <laughs> yeah, and that 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 is that, that streak is actually going to end here because we get like one of the only good matches on this show next. And it's not even that that great, but it's again, in comparison to everything else, it's fucking fantastic. So it is uh, the aforementioned ladder match open challenge from the beginning of the show. Chris Benoit is back out. Um, it is time for the match. He gets on the mic. He says, hey, the open challenge is still open. Uh, he, you know, Whoever it is is going to find out what silent but violent is all about. And... Who's it going to be? Who's the opponent? It's for the third time tonight. It's fucking Jeff Jarrett. Okay, well, at least Jeff Jarrett's a good worker. You know, this will probably be fine. Jarrett comes to the ring. He has a mic. He climbs to the top of a ladder that is on the ramp. And he says, I'll tell you what, slap nuts. Big pop for slap nuts. He said the thing, David. He said the thing. Jeff, say the line. I've kicked one ass tonight. I might as well make it two. Crippler my ass. When I get done with you, you're going to be the one crippled. Um, This match is, like I said, a shining light of competence and an ocean, ocean of shit. But even it has some weird stuff in it. Um, Benoit meets him up the ramp. We're on early. He hits him with a big superplex. Uh, first to bring the ladder in, but Jarrett baseball slides the ladder into him. And there's this kind of awkward spot where he kind of picks him up and drops him on the ladder at an angle. It looks like that, you know, busted Benoit's nose open. The ladder's kind of at a weird angle when he comes down on it and looked like it caught him. Um, 
So Benoit gets his nose busted open. He will be uh, bleeding throughout the, uh, the, the especially picks up the second part of the match. Sets the uh, ladder up in the corner. Benoit reverses him, whips him into it a couple times, tries to climb up, but Ben uh, Jarrett picks him up, crotches him on the top rope. Jarrett pits and puts him up the corner, kind of does like a leg sweep with the ladder so it lands on Benoit as they both go down. Um, then there's this other really awkward spot where um, Benoit like kind of hangs Jarrett upside down on the ladder and like tries to climb up the other side of the ladder, but like the ladder is like starting to close while he does this, and eventually it just sort of topples over and they both fall over. That was really awkward looking. Uh, but it picks up a lot more towards the end. Um, they take turns pushing Tubber off the ladder a couple times. Benoit climbs up. Jarrett missile drop kicks the ladder. Benoit takes a great bump off the ladder here. Got excellent air. They do a quick little run spot with the, with the ladder in the middle. Benoit ducks a light, slides under the ladder, drop kicks the ladder into Jarrett's. Benoit climbs up. Jarrett is selling pretty much dead off of this ladder shot. And he's, you know, Benoit is able to climb to the top. Jarrett's not getting up. Uh, and Jarrett has the, uh, Benoit has the title in his grasp, but he says, you know what? YOLO, motherfucker. Gorgeous looking diving headbutt off the top of the ladder. Hits Jarrett with it. That was awesome. I think he started bleeding more after this headbutt too. Jarrett was not getting up, you know, but he said, fuck it. Let's be a legend here. Let's do a cool high spot. And then he climbs up. Pulls it down, wins the title, 10 minutes and 15 seconds. You've seen 500 billion better ladder matches than this, but it does pick up pretty well at the end. It's two guys that are are excellent workers, and it's by far the best thing on the show. I really appreciated the match, like because both the, again, this is not an announced match; it's ad hoc. Um, but like, there a lot of the spots and the big spots here are them falling off the ladder, and like to just take five of those bumps like consecutively in a row. You know, kudos to them for like doing something that's going to really get the crowd in there. The crowd really got invested here, too, which was something that clearly, as the rest of the night has shown us, did not happen often during this era. So good for them. That headbutt looked they the I will say this for the camera work on that headbutt, man. They captured that shit perfectly. That looked so cool. Uh, Not great for your brain, but hey, that look it looked great. Going to be great for the highlight reel. Um, but yeah, again, they're just cli- constantly climbing the ladder, doing re- weird ladder spots, getting creative with it. And, you know, Benoit wins in the end eventually, which I'm assuming is probably the plan all, all along. So they got there. It feels we're earned over. And again, this is a 10 minute ladder match. You, you think a ladder match would go maybe 15 or 20 minutes, 10 minutes. But by far, by far. The best match we've had since the Mama Lukes were on TV. Yeah, it's a 10-minute ladder match. Again, you're used to ladder matches having a little bit more, but I don't think this really needed that much more. No, it, it didn't. I didn't. come away from it wanting more. I thought it was fine. I, yeah. No, I very much agree on that, I'm, I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's a ladder match. You expect, okay, it's going to have a little bit of time. It really had 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. It's, it's easily the match of the night. It's still not... Amazing. Again, it's it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a good match, you know. And again, it picks up at the end, but it it definitely looks better because of what surrounds it, Um, including this very infamous uh, incident that happens in this next match. I remembered uh, the uh, Bret Hart getting kicked in the head 
obviously. I didn't remember that they did another fucking I didn't I didn't remember that they did this fucking finish again. Holy shit. I I, I was more appalled by the finish than the kick to the head. It is main event time. Oh, we're, I mean, we're going to talk about all that in just a second. It is main event time. It is the hitman Bret Hart defending the WCW championship against Goldberg. Bret Hart cuts a promo beforehand. He uh, says, I knew when I won this title, I was going to have to prove it against Bill Gold- Goldberg. I'm going to walk out. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, whether Goldberg likes it or not. And we get Michael Buffer. He does the he does the uh, the big intro. The ch- Brett, the champion, is out first. Goldberg always came out second, of course, because even though WCW is fully in his in its death spiral, that big Jew is still over, folks. They still love him. Those massive thumps you hear at the very beginning of his entrance are Goldberg headbutting the metal door of his locker room extremely hard and busting himself open hard way before the match starts like he's the fucking Sandman. Uh, nobody ever said that uh, brains were Bill Goldberg's strong suit. Uh, I also, the one other thing I liked about the entrance, um, if you watch it back, um, check out the security guard to Goldberg's right. If you watch him, he's like very obviously marking the fuck out the whole time and like trying <laughs> to suppress like just himself from like just like a huge shit eating grin because it's fine. He's getting a fucking walk out Goldberg. That's like the coolest thing that you could ever do if you're an arena security guard in the history of arenas is get to walk out Goldberg. I was going to say, are these like actual security guards or are these uh, local indie talent? Um, I don't know if they were doing the local indie talent shit. I mean, like they're wearing like the kind of like the event staff, uh, like uniforms that you always see, like actual like arena security guards wear. Yeah. It's usually when it's like, like local indie guys, like they'll wear like t-shirts or they'll wear like, yeah, like they'll wear like an, like, like a generic, like WWE t-shirt or something, you know? I, I, I don't know. The guy looked pretty jacked, so maybe he was a worker, but I, I don't know. But like. The guy is like, again, doing the coolest possible thing you could ever do as a uh, arena security guard in any point in history. And he's like he's like very clearly trying to like suppress a, a huge smile while he's doing this. I, I felt happy for the guy. Um, so. It is, you know, this, the crowd finally wakes up, you know, they've had to put up with a bunch of stupid shit, but this is legitimately a dream match, right? Goldberg and, and Brett in the main event of Starcade. In the final WCW pay-per-view match of the 20th century. And the story, of course, is the technical prowess of Bret the Hitman Hart, one of the greatest technicians to ever grace a wrestling ring, against the explosive power of Goldberg. And Goldberg gets the better of him early. It's the big gorilla press power slam. Drops him a couple times. Then, surprisingly... Tries a technical thing of his own and rolls for a knee bar, which I thought was interesting. Brett tries to counter into the sharpshooter and Goldberg uh, powers out. We fight on the floor. We get a ref bump, number one. Uh, Lil Nate, Charles Robinson gets in. Uh, we get another ref bump in the ring. So uh, ref bump number two, Goldberg hits Brett with like a half-hatch suplex into Lil Nate. So uh, ref bump number two. Um, Goldberg goes for a spear. Uh, misses, posts himself. We have a third ref now in the ring. 
So we're like three minutes in this match. We have we had three different referees. I've never seen refs come out this fast following a ref bump. Oh, I know. Uh, Brett, this was this was the first uh, bad thing to happen to Brett here. Um, Brett tries to put him in the figure four leg lock around the post, something that he has done a thousand times for the last you know ten plus years. Uh, and the trick to that is the person taking the move is supposed to help hold the guy up so they don't conk their head on the fucking floor. Goldberg does not do that, and Brett conks the shit out of his fucking head on the floor really hard as he locks in this hold. Um, And, uh, you know, it's obviously bothering him a little bit. Never really gets the hold locked in, and eventually he lets it go. Um, But he gets back in the ring. Brett works the leg, works the leg, works the leg, puts him back into the figure four, Goldberg turns him over. Brett gets the rope and continues to work the leg methodically. We then get a third ref bump. What is this? A fucking house of torture match? Where the fuck is Dick Togo? Like, come on. (laughs) Um, And then we get Goldberg's big comeback featuring the very infamous certain kick to the head. That would give Bret Hart a very severe concussion that would ultimately lead to his retirement. Uh, it honestly doesn't look that bad in the moment. It's just kind of like a big sidekick to the head, but he gets Bret with it. I, I was reading about it. Goldberg called when he whips him into the ropes. He called, he said, watch the kick. But Bret didn't know what kind of kick he meant. And then the spacing and timing was just off enough that Goldberg caught him like pretty good. I was actually watching because uh, I was doing some research. And I saw the kick. I was like, that doesn't look like it, super out of the ordinary. It doesn't look that bad, but it does get him. Oh, like, it absolutely does. Not, you know, everything about it, the spacing, the timing, there was just enough little miscommunication that he got him, you know? Yeah. And, I also heard like Brett, Brett might have also called uh, counter kick, like counter the whip and then kick me. But like you said, not knowing what kick was coming. Yeah. Um, So I don't know exactly what happened. Brett has been like publicly very bitter about this and shit talking Goldberg uh, for years afterward. Decades now. Decades now. Yeah. I mean, this this was 24 plus years ago. Um, And it's like I I I love Brett, but like, dude, it's fucking pro wrestling. It, It happens. You know, like it sucks, obviously. But it shit does fucking happen. You know what I mean? It didn't even look that fucking bad. It didn't look like he was being really reckless or anything. He threw the kick and it just got you a little bit. That fucking happens in pro wrestling, man. Bret Hart's own sainted brother, Owen, who uh, was an exceptional worker. You know, he broke Stone Cold Steve Austin's neck with a fucking pile driver. Did Stone Cold shit talk Owen for 25 years? No, he didn't. So, uh. You know, whatever. Does it matter that it effectively ended Bret Hart's uh, career versus Stone Cold finding a... Although it it almost ended Stone Cold's career. uh, Certainly almost. Led to him having to completely change of style. But, um, you know, Bret would go on to wrestle multiple matches after this. I mean, like he, he basically said that he didn't know at the time how bad it was until later. But it's getting ahead of ourselves. Uh... He hits him with a big kick. He hits the spear. Goldberg fires up. And then we get Rowdy Roddy Piper coming down to the ring. 
wearing a ref shirt and with a big arm brace on. He has a torn bicep. Um, and then Ronnie's entrance as the ostensible fourth referee, uh, you know, distracts Goldberg long enough for Brett to chop block him, lock in the sharpshooter, and a very grim-faced Rowdy Roddy Piper gets into the ring as Brett locks in the sharpshooter. And I, I can't believe we're we're doing the fucking Montreal finish. God fucking damn it. He calls for the fucking bell. And that's it. Everyone is confused. Roddy Piper walks off with the world title. Doesn't give it to Brett at first. Brett follows him up the ramp asking him, hey, what the fuck is going on here? Um, and then once they get to the top of the stage, Brett grabs him and Piper hands him the title. And then that's it. Like cut to black. That's the end of Starcade 1999. Is, uh, yeah, they did the fuck. Brett, <laughs> Brett gets kicked in the head, you know, suffers a severe concussion. And then they do the Montreal finish again and everyone is confused. Uh, Bret Hart retains the title in 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Then the next night on Nitro, we reform the NWO with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Jeff Jarrett, proving that nobody has any fucking ideas. No. Uh, that said, wrestling t-shirts in 1999, $20. Wrestling t-shirts, inflation-proof. That's true. That's it's it's a it's a it's a it's a stable commodity. It's, we, should, we should we should we we should tack the dollar to uh, wrestling you know, T-shirts, wrestling T-shirt standard, like even like twenty five, like whether you find a twenty five dollar T-shirt or a thirty dollar T-shirt, that's still that's still beating inflation. It's true. It's true. Uh, anyway, um, this felt like a dream match to start. Like it felt really like, you know, Bret Hart, Goldberg and Goldberg's aura really lends itself to a big fight feel. Um, and for the most part, like this does feel like a pretty solid match. Obviously, like Goldberg being Goldberg, it's not technically sound, but Bret Hart, you know, can get a match out of anybody. Um, when I saw the kick, I'm like that. It, it, it certainly yeah. catches catches him flush. If you if you've never seen the match before, and or and you've just heard about like, oh, this is when Goldberg kicked Bret Hart in the head, you might expect something different, you know. Yeah, you expect it to look a lot more wicked. Um, I actually came across uh, Stevie Richards. Like, yeah, yeah, what were you gonna say? Stevie Richards actually does a breakdown of like the this match and like how Bret Hart it got concussed from it. And he breaks down the kick, shows the kick, and how it goes straight into his temple. But he also talks about like the way Bret Hart acts throughout this match as like. He might have been concussed even before the kick. And you had mentioned like him doing the figure four around the post and how he bumps his head because yeah. his and his big like argument for like why he believes that is that Brett's not selling to the cam. He's not selling up. He's a lot of the time he's covering his face and selling downwards, whereas like, a lot of time he'll sell up. You sell up to, you know, show the pain, show the, you know, yeah. show this internal struggle. And obviously so, Bret Hart is a pros, pros, pro. Exactly. Know, those things. So him covering his face, him covering down, selling downward was kind of like his argument because he does that a lot before the kick. And you mentioned the, you know, you him supposed to, supposed to base on the pole and then not and then him slamming his head into the concrete. I'm wondering if, if it wasn't there where that first concussion came up rather than the kick itself. Yeah. But obviously it's, obviously yeah. taking a kick to the dome when you're already, you're already concussed isn't great for you, but uh 
Yeah. The, the, it is certainly interesting. It certainly, it certainly compromises your ability to react to it and cover up to it. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, he co- and he shows like a lot of clips of Brett selling that way. I'm like, you know what? I don't know what's real and what's fake because it's wrestling. And that's kind of half the point. But like Steve Richards brings up a lot of good points about it. So interesting. Yeah, I, I, I should check out that video. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Obviously, you know. The, the, the figure four spot happens first. And it's interesting reading Meltzer's, uh, you know, the Meltzer's uh, review and summary of the match that was written at the time because it never actually mentions the kick. Like, the kick is always talked about now as like, oh, that was the kick that ended Bret Hart's career. Uh, you know, Goldberg was such an idiot for that. But he never mentions the kick. It doesn't, like, really register. No. It, they, they talks about the figure four spot on the post where he conks his head, but not the kick. And, you know, Brett, Brett even said, like, you know, he has said in the past that he didn't really realize at the time how bad it was, you know, that, you know, Brett would go on to wrestle nine more times over the next two, three weeks uh, before kind of realizing like, oh shit, like I've got post-concussion syndrome. This I'm, I'm fucked up. I can't do this anymore. And during those times, you know, obviously like, you know, the figure four spot as well, but like, you know, took other bumps and maybe other knocks, who knows during that, you know, course of that next few weeks where he continued to work full time with apparently a severe concussion, didn't give himself a break. And, you know, that's going to do as much damage, if not more than getting kicked in the fucking head. Yeah. So, you know, that said, what the fuck was this finish? What the hell was that? It just, you know, (laughs) Montreal happened, right? And it is one of the most diabolical fucking things in history. You know, they just, they just cooked that up and fucking, you know, just the, the evil laboratory and they got away with it and it worked and no one has ever been able to let us fucking forget about it. No. Because people love fucking doing the Montreal finish and I fucking hate it. Do you I'm think so tired of it? How how much of you thinks Roddy was playing playing like the solemn guy versus how much you think Roddy was actually like I can't believe I'm doing this shit. Oh my god. I, I mean like he he looked pissed off to be having to do this. I don't know if he was selling or working or what, but Man, he he did not look happy. You know? No, I don't. I don't. I don't even remember. It's been so long since I've watched Nitro. That I don't even remember how they followed this up. But uh, sure. they, they vacated the title and Hart won again in a rematch with the help of Hall and Nash, which is how the NWO got formed. And then he defended the title over two weeks and then had to drop it, and that also killed NWO two thousand. So fucking stupid. God, I hate this shit. Bad. I hate this fucking shit, dude. It's so fucking bad. God, let us, let us, let like Montreal, like they, they still kept doing the Montreal finish. They did it like a few years ago with Charlotte. Remember that? Yeah. They had Lynch do it. God, fuck off. I hate this. I hate this. I'm hopefully that now that like fucking Vince McMahon has been banished to the fortress of solitude, like has been, has been banished to the cube, uh, cube prison that General Zod was put in. Um, <laughs> That uh, we never have to fucking see this finish again. Oh, you know damn well that they're gonna run Rock Roman and they're gonna have Rock win via the Montreal finish. I would, I would, I. It's probably legally a bad idea for me to say what I would do if they did that. So I'm <laughs> going to not. That's 
Saves me time editing. I will not speak. I will be in very big trouble if I speak. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> this is finally over. Let's hit our two and a half marks. Angelo. Uh, okay. Yeah, my negative half mark is going to how the revolution was treated. Like, this is a stable of guys who are very talented workers. Yeah, the mic work isn't always there. I mean, Shane Douglas is a mouthpiece is kind of like leaves a lot to be desired. But like those are three guys who just go in the ring, who understand the business that are always going to be technically sound and are great workers. But because they're great workers, they get fed to the top guys and made it look like utter jabrones. And even in this case, they're the top guy they're feeding is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who, as we have documented, took seven guys to beat. Um, they're they're so talented they're all great. I love watching Dean Malenko. I love watching Perry Saturn. But the way they got treated when they joined the revolution, it's just so disheartening because these are guys that are more or less in the prime of their careers. They're not prospects. They're in their prime. And they're just getting jobbed out to the old dudes because the old dudes can't let go. Um, very great workers. They are, they never disappoint in the ring. And just it, it shows you that you can't not care about the work done in the ring. That does play a factor. And the fact that Vince Russo never saw that is why he is a failure. Yes. For many other reasons. My one mark is going to Italian themes because Italian themes go bang in the whip. God, the Mama Luke's come out and you feel like you're in an episode of, uh, shoot. I feel like the Sopranos. I'm, you feel like you're in the Sopranos. Catriali's like pork store. Exactly. You're ready. Shit's about to go down. You hear that music coming on. Like Enzo's theme too was like that. It was just it yeah. just hits that note. You're like, oh shit, it's about to get Italian up in here. Never fails. My negative two marks is going to a lack of conclusions. Um, the Mama Luke's versus Disco Inferno Lash Larue that didn't finish up. Uh, Medusa versus Evan Courageous that didn't finish up. Norman Smiley's run kind of continues. That's not a punctuation. Uh, I guess there's a punctuation somewhat of Revolution versus Duggan. Um, Vampiro versus Oklahoma. Like, none of these stories finish. None of these stories matter. They, they, also, they also don't matter. But there's not a true conclusion to any of this. And at some point on your pay-per-view, you have to have enough things end so you can go into new things. Yes, things are it's wrestling. It's a it's going to continue to happen. The stories never stop coming. But there are smaller stories that can have an end point or at least a chapter end that you could do on a pay-per-view and none of that happens. This is Starcade. This is the end of the year. This is the biggest show of the year for WCW. And the amount of lack of conclusions that these matches have is disgusting. Like, at the very least, what WWE does right is that for at WrestleMania, a lot of stories tend to end. Like, you could do a lot of spinoffs from what happens at WrestleMania, but a lot of the stories they tell up to Mania end. And none of that happens here at Starcade. It's like, oh, swerve, swerve, swerve. Gotta tune in this week to figure out what's gonna happen next because you didn't see this coming, which is so dumb and no one wants to do it. No one, like, at some point, you have to bring substance to your swerves and that never came conclude your stories i couldn't bring myself uh to think about this show enough to uh actually write down uh marks so i'm giving negative half negative one and negative two marks to everything and everyone involved with the show except maybe benoit um and maybe big Vito. um it's just this this you want to know why wcw went from you know kicking the wws 
all up and down the fucking street uh, just two years before to, you know, like being like basically like, you know, on the verge of bankruptcy here in such a rapid period of time. It's all encapsulated here. The utter distaste uh, for just pro wrestling, the the disrespect for the fans, the, you know, not giving a shit about anything making sense in even the most minor of ways, uh, the shitty wrestling, the shitty fucking, you know, all the all the people who are on the show who have no talent, the fucking Nazi twins being there again and again. Fuck. I mean, like all of it, all of it is such dog shit. It's so fucking bad. Like I've watched WCW 2000 pay-per-views that I had that that have been similarly bad, but I actually enjoyed them because they were bad in the right way. This is bad in all the wrong ways. It's just such a miserable, dark, depressing experience to watch this show. And then, yeah, it's capped off with one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, a man who was way too good for this fucking place, uh, suffering a fucking career-ending injury. It is uh, it's it's just it's just bad all the way down. It's just it's just dark and sad and miserable all the way fucking down. Um, and you want to know why? You know, they, they 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 deserve to go bankrupt. They deserved it. They did this to themselves. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Each and every one of you. Go fuck yourself. The textbook definition of cursed. So that will wrap up our coverage. of WWE <laughs> Star Kate 1999. Oh, uh, we've got we, we actually kind of neglected this. You know, we, we always did once every 10 episodes or so. Uh, we just kind of pick something else that we want to watch. And we have not discussed at all what that's going to be. So no. we're going to leave it a mystery to you, the, the listener. Um, we're going to figure out what the fuck that's going to be. And you will find out next time on the podcast uh, when we fucking do it. Do you want the boat or the mystery box? Yeah, yeah. but oh, boat's a boat, but the mystery box could be anything. It could be a boat. Yeah, you're getting the mystery box next week, folks. Uh, So that will be uh, uh, that. I I just oh god, this this I I feel fucking pissed off. (laughs) Such a bad start to my fucking weekend, dude. But uh, don't watch the Mountaineers later. Yeah. So next, that's what we're gonna do next time on the podcast. I'm actually gonna be getting drunk. I will not be watching WVU play. Thank God. Um, So. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we're going to be doing something else next time on the podcast. So for my good friend, Angela and Glisa, my name is David Statman. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah.